This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Off the Looking Glass. I'm Kate Fagan. I'm Jessica Smetana. Jess, we are back today with one of the through lines of this new iteration of Off the Looking Glass. And the through line is Pebble Beach. Yes. What a beautiful spot. Here we are again. We're going to talk a little Pebble Beach. We're going to talk what is my budding favorite sport, apparently, (laughs) golf. We have a golf episode. You don't have to be sarcastic, Kate. I know that golf is probably not in your top five of sports, but with the excitement of Anya trying to qualify for the Women's U.S. Open this summer and the Open being played at Pebble Beach for the first time in history that a Women's U.S. Open is being played there, even though there have been six men's U.S. Opens and one PGA Championship (sighs) at Pebble Beach. uh, It is a big summer for women golfers around the world. So we had to obviously bring in your sixth favorite sport for another episode today. Well, and I'm actually really excited about this story and the episode because... I can relate to this concept of a golf course and correct me if I'm wrong here, Jess, cause you were, I saw your swing on text for listeners. Jess sent a video of her driving the ball, asking for feedback. I was CC'd on it. The feedback was not being requested of me. It was being requested of our resident professional golfer, Anya. So since Anya's not on the episode today here at the top of the show, she'll be on later. You are the resident golf expert now. And I imagine that these golf courses that golfers play on are like characters Mm. in whatever event it is. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so the fact that women have not been permitted to play on the courses that have the most distinct character, it reminds me of when the New York Liberty had to go play an hour away from Manhattan and they weren't playing at Madison Square Garden, which is itself a character when basketball is played there. So having now the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, I imagine like adds a new dynamic nature to what we will watch. Yeah, and golf is definitely one of those sports, and you could say this about most sports, where there is a long history of racial segregation And there are still a couple courses in the United States that do not allow women in the clubhouse, Mm. uh, one near Mm. my hometown. So it is definitely a big step forward that there is a women's U.S. Open at Pebble Beach for the first time. But you would hope to see more women included in these spaces as, you know, we march towards progress, I guess you could say, in women's sports. (laughs) Slow, steady march. So we have a really fun golf episode, words I never thought I would say in the history of my life, let alone (laughs) off the looking glass. A very fun golf episode. We are going to talk to Ryan O'Toole, who is a member of the LPGA. And then Anya, our very own Anya, is bringing a campfire about what is the most famous hole at Cypress Point Golf Course that Anya has played. And she's got a really cool story about who designed this really famous 16th hole. What was her advice to me? Stop standing up in your swing? Yes. Well, I'm going to sit back down and listen to the rest <laughs> of this episode with you. 
Our guest today is a member of the LPGA Tour. She played her college golf at UCLA, where she recorded 12 top 10 finishes. She won the Trust Golf Women's Scottish Open. She's finished ninth at the U.S. Open and sixth at the Evian Championship. All right, let's do it. Let's bring her on. Ryan O'Toole. You grew up like around the beach, right? Because you're from California. I just assume everyone that grows up in California is like on the beach all the time. Yeah. I did grow up on the beach, surfing a lot, always at the beach. So I've been spending a lot of time in England here and where my girlfriend's from, she lives by the beach. And so they big into kite surfing here. So I'm, I'm wanting to start that. Oh, you're in England right now. So you were at an English beach. Yes, I was. Yes. Okay. So then I, um, I'm picturing like a little chilly by the seaside. Um, I don't, not right though. It's 85 here right now. Oh, oh. shit. Okay. Yes. It's, it's so it's very hot, surprisingly. And they don't build homes with air conditioning around here. Yeah. Similar to LA, right? Yeah. And in Orange County, there's a lot of like older homes that don't really? do the AC. Since you've been spending so much time in England, like what has surprised you about England? To be honest, like uh, where Georgia's from is very much her hometown. Bournemouth is very similar to where I'm from. Just a quiet, like cute beach town. There's a lot of surf shops. Uh, there is surfing, you know, right by the pier here. And then they're big into kite surfing here. So uh, it reminds me of San Clemente where I grew up, which is what it just out of all of England. I'm like, wow, this couldn't get any more like home other than accents are different, little cultural different stuff. But as far as the rest, it's very similar. Oh, the winters are a little hard, but yeah. <laughs> I don't really think of beach town when I think of England, but you're just, you're blowing my mind here. So we're good. I, I didn't either <laughs> until I saw it. It's about two hours south of London. And then I guess even more south of here is very big surfing area. I still need to go check it out. It's about, I think, four hours from here or something, drive. Okay. But even more beach towns. But I didn't know it existed until I visited. And I was very blown away by, you know, little cute coffee shops, surf, surf shops, um, stand up paddle, everything. Important next question. Do you say mini golf or putt-putt? Putt-putt. Okay. We're collecting data because we were like, is this a regional thing? But apparently they're different sports, Kate. So I'm a little skeptical of that still, Jess, somehow. <laughs> you don't but trust my I sources? Guess, yeah, what would be mini golf? Uh, mini golf. Well, mini golf. Some people call mini golf. Mini golf. There we go. What do you call, what do you call putt-putt? Is it putt-putt or mini golf? She says mini golf. Okay, oh. but she's from England, Kate, so but, I don't know. Yeah. but Kate, don't you have like family ties to Europe? Like your sister was born abroad. Maybe your family is more maybe, Me, and we're from Ireland, so maybe there's like not yeah. that Ireland and England are the same, but like we're all in that neighborhood. It could be Ryan. Okay, so you're at least on your Instagram, you say you're a gym junkie. Can you give us like your go-to workout? Go-to workout would definitely be, I mean, throwing some weights around in the gym. I mean, uh, I would do a not just the lower body, but also upper body. Like if I really just want to get a hard gym session and like say I missed a cut playing golf and I'm pissed off, I just pretty much hammer everything. Obviously there's some cardio mixed in there, but for the most part, that would just be something that I'd put some music on and just kind of disappear in the gym. So you don't follow a, like a workout that's happening that you do, it's in your head and you're just executing moves? Yeah. So I think like a lot of times, like, um, I grew up like since I was 15 training at the gym and, you know, I've gone through different trainers and have seen, I've learned a lot. I always had a passion for it. I said, if, you know, golf didn't work out, I'd love to train athletes, probably a better career path with golf, but <laughs> I, I just love it. I love, you know, going in the gym. I love 
training Georgia or helping her. Um, I just, I don't know. I can just go in the gym and make up routines and stuff like that. Now it is fun. Like uh, we did just do like a body sculpt class today at like the local yoga studio. So I like doing that or reformer Pilates or yoga. We were in New York and we did Barry's Boot Camp, which is really fun. Hey, 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 Barry's Boot Camp, Ellis Island. <laughs> My name is Amber, like the alert. Um, I've done that a few times. Um, That's rough. I used yeah. to do that when I was in better shape. Yeah. It's a tough but one. <laughs> stuff like that, that just like where you almost have someone else push you, which is always nice. But typically it is just getting in there and doing, um, you know, have a squat rack, Peloton, tread, mm. uh, dumbbells, cable system. So. My perception of golf, at least growing up in the 90s, was that Tiger Woods kind of revolutionized the idea of like a super fit golfer. But it sounds like you've been training in a way that maybe was like more, I don't know how to phrase this question without seeming somewhat offensive to golf, but like, do you think that you've had an advantage over the years by being really focused on fitness? And have you seen a shift in how golfers approach their fitness, like since you joined the PGA Tour? You know, I believe that you know, being fit helps. I think it helps, um, you know, the body last. I mean, I'm 36. This is my 13th year on tour, you know, without really having any injuries to prevent me. I think the only injury I had was in 2012. And, you know, I learned, okay, I can't go that hard or have to do certain things, but whatever. But since then, I've always been a big advocate of training and keeping the body strong. You know, there's that balance of listening to your body and there's a balance of pushing yourself. And, you know, Tiger was very great about that as far as like, breaking into like showing that golfers can work out and can get stronger. You know, Rory's the same way. He's very fit and a bit advocate of that. And I think just the generation now is starting to see it. Now you don't have to be a gym junkie or work out to play good golf. And there's a lot of girls that show that that's possible, but as far as longevity, I think that's where it comes into play. So I think to prevent injury and to sustain I believe that's where the advantage lies. I read that you got into golf, quote unquote, later in your adolescence than a lot of other professional golfers. What's your experience been compared to other golfers in terms of like the age that you picked up a club? I mean, yeah, I was 13 when I picked up a club. I never played before. My parents don't play. I played a lot of other sports prior and during when I started. And so I felt like I was definitely late into the game, especially competing against girls that have been playing since they were like seven. But, you know, maybe that's also helps to not get burnt out and to still love the game. And I love it. I love practicing. I love playing. I, you know, maybe that's why when I don't perform, it bothers me more, you know, or I just want it so badly, stuff like that. So I haven't reached that burnout stage. For you, is there a shot or anything that happens on the golf course that feels like if you get yourself into a certain situation, you're like, hmm, I don't like this shot as much as I do other shots. It's about like shots. Sometimes it's the day or it's like how your body's feeling that week. And there's ones that like, I mean, if I start seeing the ball go left, I don't like that. I don't like the ball starting left and then drawing. Like that is a shot that I call scary or it's just not in a good position. Um, and it's kind of hard to control. I just feel like the more right you aim, the further left it goes. And you're just like, I don't know how to get out of this. <laughs> so I think that is like the worst for me would be when that shot shows up and it's just trying to control it. Like in basketball, everyone would always say, if you're missing short or long, you're in a good place. Yeah. And if you're missing left or right, something is off with your mechanics. Does that translate directly to golf? Typically, yes. It's either mechanics or even it could be just tempo. It could be your head is in your own way and you're guiding it. I mean, sometimes it's like you kick it off the golf course and go hit balls and you're like, 
and there it is no problem or you know and other times it is like mechanically you just got yourself in a little you know funky spot sometimes when when that starts you end up getting two misses and usually one miss is produced because of the other issue rather than actually hitting it both ways it's like you protect from the other side and next thing you know you hit it right do you always know what's wrong and it's just trying to fix it or sometimes are you like what the fuck is happening right now I think in my earlier careers I didn't know what's wrong and like you're like going to search mode and you have like this checklist but I think as you get older and start understanding your swing more yes that checklist of possibilities that could go wrong gets shorter and shorter or you have like little things that you can kind of do to kind of band-aid it until you can actually alter it yeah I mean it's a lot easier said than done you know like some people be like oh just aim more right and hit that left and it's like it's just not not that easy when you're watching from the outside the ropes, it's so different. Like if I don't make the cut or if I'm done playing and George is playing, I'll go watch. And it's just I watch from the outside. You're like, it is such a different place on the outside the ropes versus being inside the ropes. Like mentally, it's just so different. I think golf is interesting because it's one of the few professional sports that people can play and like play on their own. Like it's, it's harder to find like a, a pickup soccer game than it is to just like go play mini golf or putt-putt. So what's the biggest difference between what people perceive versus what the reality is when you're actually playing? You know, I think it's so you're so much more emotionally invested. You're so much more mentally in it. From an outsider looking in, like when you're watching, it's, oh, that shot seems easy or that shot doesn't seem that difficult. But when you're in it and it means something to you and, you know, you're trying to judge it, even the way you visually see it, being the one hitting the shot versus the one observing the shot is completely different. And I mean, it could be as simple as looking at someone that has to sit there and hit a free throw. You look at some of these wrestle players, like you practice that free throw over and over. Nothing changes. It's not like there's air blowing this time or wind or it's cold. Course always the same. The temperature is always the same. Your opponents are different, but they can't touch you in that moment. The basket's always the same distance away. Golf is just so different in the sense that all those external factors change, but it's still, it's such a mental thing. So we may see and go, how do you miss that free throw or how do you miss that layup? But when you're in it, it's just so different. Wait, but do golfers talk about that when it comes to free throws? They're like, how do you miss them when there is no change in wind? Are you like, I would kill for static environmental conditions? Right. Like, you know, looking back, I played basketball for 10 years. I played softball for 10 years. And it's like uh, I pitched um, catcher and third base. And then, you know, I played shooting guard in basketball. And it's like I look at those things and go technical wise, there's not a lot of technique that you need to learn in those sports. Like, yes, softball has a little more than basketball. But technique wise in basketball, like compared to golf, golf is just never ending in technique. (laughs) I mean, there's always shots to learn. The swing is not ever like it's always I mean, it's moving. You're you know, you're swinging at 100 miles an hour. Yeah, like basketball is uh, there's certain technicalities, but like you can see people with like broken shots. But if they repeat it enough, like it works for them or you can just be a player who is contributing other factors, whether it's like hustle. And I mean, nothing really like exists like that in golf I don't think no it doesn't stuff like that doesn't exist and I mean like I think golf has more of like the point of when you get frustrated or things aren't going your way you can run harder you can guard stronger whichever but in golf you're just kind of stagnant it's like you're left to just walk by yourself in deep thought and ponder but to be honest I think that's why um, I fell in love with golf was because I liked the individuality of it I liked it relying on me. I mean, I hated at times when I played basketball and I wasn't playing, you know, sit the bench, like waiting to get in, waiting to play. And I'm like, golf, you get to play. 
it's on yeah. you. Yeah, there's that fun camaraderie of having a team, but I think just golf has that mental, it's just a difference in mentality and it requires, a, I think, a bigger push mentally than any other sport. Since it's not a team sport too, how would you compare being on the tour like culture-wise to maybe like some of the other women's sports? Like Kate and I really come from like a basketball, soccer background. So I think we kind of get, you know, that team culture, team spirit situation, but what is it like for, for golfers? I mean, it's very solo. I mean, we travel alone. We a lot of times practice alone. Like sometimes you'll play with friends, um, you know, and practice rounds and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's just us. It is only us playing. And I think uh, that is one of the, either you are okay with it or you want that team atmosphere. Yeah, we have our coaches, we have a trainer, we have a physio, but you know, some players don't see them all the time. Some players see them often, but you're still very solo. The only parallel I have to what the lifestyle is like on the LPGA is the WTA. For you, when you're going to set up like what events you're going to in an in a upcoming year, are you booking all of that stuff? You're set, like, how much are you yeah. doing on the day to day on that? Like flights, all of that? Yes, all of it. I mean, I would say 90% of us book all of it. There's some players that probably have their agency do some of it, but Georgia's agency is very involved with her, but she still does all her booking. I'm my own agent, so I do everything on, on top of everything. So yeah, I mean, we book flights, book hotels, book rental cars, sign up for tournaments, you pay, you know, you got to pay to play the tournament, everything. At tournaments, they provide breakfast and lunch, so you can eat there if you'd like, or you can go out, go elsewhere, and then dinner is on your own. But yes, every form of transportation, every form of logistics, yes, the tournaments will set up like, hey, these are host hotels that you can choose to stay at. Like you have to pay for them, but they just give you options what's nearby and maybe a discounted rate or something. But, you know, overseas, they're much better with logistics and which airport we fly into, transportation provided for stuff like that. So like if we play in France or if we play in Asia, you know, that's a little different than just playing in the U.S., some of the leagues we talk a lot about on our podcast, like WNBA, NWSL, and we're like really familiar with the next steps that they're taking to get more for their unions and their players, whether in the WNBA yeah. it's commercial flights is moving off of commercial flights to charter flights is like the big thing. In the LPGA, what are some of the next steps that the players are trying to get to secure growth in the league? You know, we're definitely, as with, I mean, we call us a team as far as just like members of LPGA. Our commissioner, Molly, she's been really good at looking at, you know, what are the differences with the WNBA, with the tennis league, with women's soccer, just different. And even on the men's side, like where can we improve or what, you know, as far as like, you know, our healthcare, we only get paid. 3500 for the year for healthcare. The rest is on us. So it's very small there. You know, working on having better retirement plans. Since you're self-employed, you can't have a 401k. You have to make under 100 grand or something for a 401k. So you have, you know, you have private SEPs, but as far as the retirement plan that they fund into, like they're trying to better that so that yes, we have something to fall back on when we're done. Just like any sport, luckily golf you could play a little longer, but as far as in the women's world, like if you want to have kids and a family, you were kind of stunted. Like I see a lot of girls that go have a family and then try to come back and it's very difficult to come back. So it's not like the men that can continue playing. So our outreach program, our help for when we do retire needs to be stronger. So I think that's one look as far as like logistics of when we have tournaments, like we played next week, we play in New Jersey and this will be our fourth event that we've had in New Jersey. And we've been bouncing back and forth, back and forth from like New Jersey to Las Vegas, back to New Jersey, then to Grand Rapids and back to New Jersey. And it's like, 
can we just do a swing in New Jersey? Because that cuts cost a lot. And so it's just little things like that, like, and making purses bigger, because you may have a purse that's small, say, we still have a couple that are 1.5. And we appreciate the sponsors. But at the same time, is like my cost for those events is no different than a cost of a tournament that's, you know, three mil, like our out expense is the same. So that makes it tough. Like if you go in and then don't make the cut, then you're still out of pocket, you know, three, four grand, sometimes five, depending on where it is. And it's tough. So it's trying to just better that area, how much money is put out versus what's being returned. You mentioned the men's game. So men's golf has been having sort of an existential crisis the last two years with the yeah. Live Tour breaking off and now the PIF investment back into the PGA Tour. And it kind of remains to be seen what that really means for the tour and the schedule and the players. But what was the reaction among LPGA players when that news broke? I mean, there something had to happen, right? Like the PGA Tour has the history that Liv doesn't. Liv has a financial backing that no other professional sport has. And it's like the two competing against each other were both lacking what each other, you know, offered. And so at some point it was going to have to come together. I just couldn't imagine being one of the players that turned to Liv down and said, damn, (laughs) I just watched 130 million or, you know, I saw some of the numbers, 400 million go through my fingers for for saying no. And now I can play on either tour or So I'm really curious to see what happens. I mean, as a player, I was always hoping that there would be a woman's live event, you know, tour just it's almost like it's a I'm 36. It would be a great couple of years to finish my career and make some great money and be able to retire. I mean, if someone threw that much money at you, it's one of those like, I don't know anybody that would say no to do what you already do, but to make 10 times what you make. So you know, it's I've always been a believer, like if you could go straight into the whole like Saudi thing and what they stand for and all that. But until you go over there and see that there is this starting to be this push of the Western culture having an influence over there. You've seen it in Dubai. Saudi's really trying. And then you play with some of the girls that come from there that are starting to play golf that never had the opportunity before. It's like you hear the history, like when the girls first started going to play that event, they had to wear pants, sleeves, they couldn't wear skirts. Now we can go over wearing our normal outfits. And so it's slowly morphing and it thinks just getting exposure. It's, it's like anything in life, like people that are anti-gay and lesbians and transgender and all that, like a lot of times it's because they don't know what they don't know. They don't understand. And that is creates fear and drives fear. So I've never been someone that has pushed away from the Saudi or Aramco or anything like that, because I feel like I'd rather stand tall and go, Hey, this is who I am. I want to be a part of it. And maybe I'll open somebody's eyes. Okay, no easy pivot to the next question. I know we got to let you go. It's an easy one. Tin cup, yes or no? You're Roy McAvoy, the golf pro? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I I pictured something uh, different. Oh, definitely. One of my favorites. Okay. Do you think it holds up? It might have been a while since you saw it. Oh, it holds up. Uh, I just think out of all the... uh, There's a couple good golf movies. Um, You know, The Greatest Game Ever Lived. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Tin cup and Happy Gilmore are probably my three favorite. Are you too good for your home? Answer me! What about Legend of Bagger Vance? You a caddy? Yeah, it depends. You a golfer? That's pretty good, too. Is Tin Cup tin like... Tin Cup, though. I mean, Tin Cup is always just the... the I think it hits home to a lot of golfers. Rip it and rip it. <laughs> we kept you a couple of minutes extra, but Ryan, we appreciate you. Thanks for hopping on with us. No problem. Thank you. Honey, I was wondering, if we're not doing anything this Sunday, can we just sit around and watch some golf? What? 
I must be dreaming. You want to watch golf? Well, of course. Didn't you hear? The PGA is finally taking some steps to make golf interesting because they just announced a brand new collaboration with award-winning designer Bob Mackie for a whole line of spandex for golfers. Spandex for golfers? That's right. Spandex for golfers. Those tight little spandex outfits not only afford golfers the ultimate experience and breathability, but they also look so adorable and sexy. Wait a minute. I'm not sure if golf is a sport that needs to get sexier. And get this, if they refuse to wear the outfits during a major, they'll receive a huge fine, just like Serena Williams did during the 2018 French Open. Well, that seems a little intense, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. It's wicked intense. There's no good reasoning whatsoever to require sexier outfits for female athletes. But that's the thing. They either wear it and it's sexy, or they don't and it's news. Introducing, for the first time ever, acclaimed fashion designer Bob Mackey is creating a collection for the PGA. The Sultan of Sequence is trading in his nine Emmys for a chance at the Ryder Cup. Look at the gams on Phil Mickelson. Those calves are so pronounced. My, my, my. Finally, some stupid sexist shit my husband and I can both enjoy. Thanks, Spandex for Golfers. And thanks, Bob Mackey, whoever you are. Goat guns are goat. Our miniature gun models will make you the center point of attention. Display them at your office desk, bookshelf, or man cave. Collect and customize goat guns to your own liking. Each goat gun model has intricate parts that snap together to assemble. Start your next hobby addiction at GoatGuns.com. There's a famous hole in golf that, for most golfers, is unattainable to play. This par 3 sits less than a mile away from Pebble Beach Golf Course, where the Women's U.S. Open will be played this year for the first time. But for the average golfer, it might as well be located a world away. The uniqueness of this hole has a story, though, one that few know. But first... Let me paint a picture of this course. Cypress Point Golf Club, set on the foothills of the Santa Lucia Mountains, right on the tip of the Monterey Peninsula, exalting itself as one of the most exclusive and prestigious golf courses in the world. You can't just waltz into the club and say, I want to inquire about a membership here. Potential members are invited by other members or the club itself, And it's less about if you can fork over the $250,000 membership initiation fee. It's about who you are, your pedigree. Each hole can stand on its own. None blend together. But it is a particular hole that has made this course famous amongst all who love golf. The par 3 number 16, a 222-yard dogleg right where the tee shot requires one to hit it 200 yards over the Pacific Ocean onto a peninsula green framed by bunkers, rocks, and ice plant. And with gusts of wind coming from the ocean, many golfers choose not to risk going for the green and instead bail out to the left. During my junior year of college golf, I was one of the few lucky golfers who had the chance to play Cypress Point. 
The entire round, all I could think about was the 16th hole. Would I be a hero and go for the green no matter how hard the wind was blowing? Or would I resign myself to playing it safe? When I got to the tee, it felt like I didn't have a choice but to go for it. I pulled out my driver as I felt the wind pushing hard from the right. After a couple deep breaths and staring down the hole longer than I normally would, I finally summoned the courage and hit my tee shot and watched it soar towards the green. And to my own surprise, I hit the green. It was probably one of the most exhilarating shots I've hit in my time playing golf. What I didn't know at the time, though, was that particular hole was designed by a woman, Marion Hollins. Hollins was a champion amateur golfer and visionary in golf. In the 1920s, she founded the Women's National Golf and Tennis Club in Long Island, New York, the first women's-only golf course in America. Later, she helped develop and design Pasa Tiempo Golf Club in Santa Cruz, California, which, cool story, served as a template for Augusta National, where the Masters is played. Ironically, Augusta was a men's-only club until 2012. In fact, when Augusta was being built, golf course architect Alistair McKenzie sent Hollins in his place for a site inspection. Despite there being objection to her presence, McKenzie trusted her judgment, writing of Marion, I want her views and personal impressions in regard to the way the work is being carried out. I do not know of any man who has sounder ideas. Over 90 years have passed since Hollins made her mark in golf, and if it weren't for the Great Depression, perhaps her star would have continued to rise. But her spirit and will were formidable. Despite getting in a car accident in 1937 that left her with permanent physical injuries, she went on to win the Pebble Beach Women's Championship in 1942 for the eighth and final time. Sadly, just two years later, Hollins passed away from complications of a stroke on August 27, 1944, at the age of 51. And with her passing, her story and contributions to golf were buried with her. And it hasn't been until recently that she has started to receive recognition for being a visionary in the sport. Marion Hollins was bold and determined. And as I reflect back on playing the 16th hole at Cypress Point, it makes sense how daring the design of that hole is. Had I known that hole's history, perhaps I would have appreciated more of what was in front of me. The vision of a woman who was a suffragette, an advocate for women and girls in sports, and someone who pushed back against gender norms. One thing is also for certain, her story won't be the last that I stumble upon or uncover when it comes to women who change the landscape of sports as we know it. There's a treasure trove of stories of women in sports waiting to be discovered. All we have to do is look. I loved that campfire from Anya about Marion Hollins and Cypress Point and the 16th hole at Cypress Point, which brings us to the question, Jess, of our favorite 
golf holes that we've ever played. And mine was outside of Lake Winnipesaukee at the Lake Winnipesaukee mm. mini golf. It was a pirate theme. Arr, that's a good rum. And you had to hit the ball through the front of a pirate ship to get it back toward the hole. And Ooh, it was ruthless. It I wasn't like that. this was a gaping opening in the pirate ship. Like it was just a little bit more than golf ball size. So that's my most popular. That's a tricky one. So that's your favorite hole. You know, I don't have any favorite holes, but when I do dabble in golf, I like the ones that are very close <laughs> to the tee box because when you're out in a fairway and you got to my drive goes maybe 100 yards if I'm lucky straight, maybe 150, probably the longest. And you got to pull out your hybrid and go another 250 to the green. That's when I get a little bored and I check out. Mm. So I like very, very short holes. Yeah, I feel like one of the Meredith College golfers right now because you just used a lot of words <laughs> I'm unsure of and how they're applied. I mean, for all of the expert golfers listening, including Anya, I probably sounded like a <laughs> idiot. So... That is the range of knowledge that we are giving to fans of golf in this episode. You've got Anya, the expert, Ryan, the pro golfer. Currently yeah, that's right. I think we're bringing the levity to this episode. And golf needs that. Golf needs levity. It absolutely. It absolutely needs levity. And that's what we're here for. But, but seriously, overall, it's been really good to dive into golf a little bit more. I think I'm inching closer to wanting to actually step on a course and play, maybe in a scramble because I don't want to be responsible for where my ball goes. Yeah, I love a scramble. I played in a scramble last week, and let me tell you, when you're only swinging the club two yeah. or three times a hole, your attention span tends to stay a little bit more focused because I don't have the attention span for yeah. 18 holes. You're of one of those millennials. Smacking the ball yeah. like Sarah Marshall, and <laughs> I'm going on TikTok in the cart while I drive 50 yards to my next fairway shot. Yeah, golf yeah. can be long and tedious, Kate, but that's why the next time I'm in Charleston, we're going to go play putt-putt okay. slash mini. I also love a good egg scramble. Just when I say the word scramble, I'm usually thinking Ooh. about like ha maybe some potatoes, some peppers, some tomatoes, some hot sauce. Bacon? No, you don't eat bacon. Yeah, no bacon, but I'll do some. Um, I'll put some bacon in mine. You can have bacon in yours. Chives. All right, we'll do that next Cheddar time you're cheese. in. Char yeah, or for you, maybe some blue cheese or some brie, one of those things mm. you like on your cheese oh. plate. Okay. I would have to take a nap right after that scramble. <laughs> we should get out of here before we devolve even lower. Once you start talking about cheese, it's yeah. game over for us here at Off the Looking Glass. Kate, who should we thank for this episode? All right. Big thank you to you, as always. I don't even think I need to list the roles you play on Off the Looking Glass at this point. We can just say big thank you to you on this. Also to Anya Alvarez, who is... What is the word in golf if you're like a jackknife, you know, like in like mm. if you're really good at putting and you're really good at driving, it's just being good at golfing, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Damn. A good golf. Damn. Who, who is the Swiss Army I knife of this podcast? She is good at a range of things. She brought you that campfire and she helps produce the show as well as Carl Scott, who executive produces Off the Looking Glass. And Joel Schupak, who does all of the sound design and music and all of the nice editing. And Kate, of course, you. Here's to you. Here's to me. Here's to golf. Here's really. to golf. And a quick thank you to Nameless Numberhead, who wrote and produced the Spandex for Golfers sketch. All right, Jess. Let's go play around. <laughs> let's do it.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.